knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. And welcome back. Yes, welcome back. Welcome back to the Outdoor Drive Podcast. Welcome back. Welcome Welcome back. back. Welcome back. Should probably keep our day jobs. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I should definitely keep our day jobs. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is your boy Trev and... Steven. And we are chilling. A little bit of that lockdown therapy. Yeah, dude, the, this this quarantine shit is getting absolutely fucking ridiculous. Of course, in podcast land, this will be done and over with by now, fingers crossed. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, Trump said we'll be back to <laughs> Easter Sunday, the- man. Easter yeah, Sunday. Right. Not going to happen, man. That's more dangerous than it is anything, in my opinion. But my opinion doesn't fucking matter, so who cares? Yeah, nobody's paying us the way they're paying them. Of course, he's I mean, not getting paid, but everyone else is. I mean, to be honest, I mean, the the one good thing about the quarantine is that our fishing season opened wicked, wicked early. Which, dude, you got to walk me through that. You guys have an established date for times you can go fish trout? What yeah, so, yeah, so our normally the last day in February shuts down our stocked rivers, streams, and lakes so if they're stocked with trout they close down you can fish all year round for um bass and so on and so forth in places that are not stocked with stocked fish say trout um that's the only one they give a fuck about because those are trophy fish um uh, and connecticut also gives a, a a shit about carp too so whatever but anyways um, so we have carp, uh, carp season. <laughs> <laughs> no, you we don't. We have trout season. Well, we have, well, we do have a carp. We you do there? have a carp. Not a, yeah. Oh, I'm here. Uh, okay. I was thinking. I was thinking. You didn't hear the smoke. Um, <laughs> we we have a we do have a carp regulations. Um, but no trout. So trout fishing season normally starts the third Saturday in April. But with the coronavirus and all the quarantine and so on and so forth, um, want to get us outside, um, we have uh, trout season got opened early. It got opened uh, on the 24th of March. Um, so opening day was the 25th. So it was kind of cool. We got to go out, man. A lot of the places were stocked. So I went to a local spot where I go as a, when I went as a kid. My dad used to bring me to this little tiny pond. So that's where I go every single year. Um, I at least make a couple casts and catch a fish or two. Uh, so I went there first off this morning and messed around and caught two trout. And then I went and met up with some buddies of mine down down the road um, and trout fished. We ended up getting our limit. Um, and then I came home. And nice. So It was kind of cool. So but, just to throw everyone off, trout does fish inland. Don't think he's just a offshore fisherman. Oh, yeah. He, he can do it all. I don't, I know. I try not to. No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know you do. That's why I said I'm glad to see you inland fishing again. I try try Uh, not to. What were you using for your uh, trout? So I use um, their 
um well i was using spinners this morning i was using spinners uh just rooster tails i like the pink trout one that's my yes, favorite sir. pink green that's my favorite one um but later on what we do is we fish a local pond also another big pond that they stock um and what we do is we run um egg sinkers with a three-foot leader to a small little wire hook um, and we run the power bait worms, the sperm worms, the ones yes, with sir. the ball and then the worms. So we, we run those and we just leave them there and we just set them up on sticks. Sit back, um, have a beer and let them tinkle. That's it, man. Or I, I drift them a lot in the rivers too. Um, that's how we actually steelhead and salmon fish up north, uh, Pulaski. Uh, we use those. And we, all right, we dude, you're letting your secret go. It's all good, You're, man. you're starting I, to sound way more like an inland f- fisherman no. than uh, an offshore guy. <laughs> they can they can all know the inland shit. I don't really <laughs> mind. Um, so we got to do that. That was pretty cool, man. It was definitely fun. Um, just, I don't know, man. It's just not for me, man. I'd rather, if I'm catching fish, dude, I want something for the frying pan. Um, I want the, the crappie and the crappie and dude, the I'm perch sorry. and the crappie. And the How crappie. can you not love taking a big freaking trout? And throwing it on a cedar plank and stick it in the oven with a little bit of, you know, this and that on top, some lemon zest, a couple other things, and letting that I know where this just, is going. Dude, how can you not? I'll I'll take that over a pan fried crappie. That's just So me. you don't you don't take it out, throw the fish away and eat the cedar plank? No. Hell no. No. <laughs> I don't know. I don't eat trout, man. The, the trout around here are farm raised trout, so uh, we don't. Okay. They taste like sh- they taste like crap. Yeah, most they're of just our like stuff. mushy. They taste like pellets. Ugh. Well, like I told you mm-hmm. out here, we have two spots that are stocked around me. Mm-hmm. Everything else that you catch is natural brookies. Uh, okay, every so you're every now and then you'll hit. Some <laughs> every now and then you'll get some nice rainbows in some of these creeks. Uh, I have caught rainbow in the Shenandoah right out of the creek inlets. And dude, I I grew up trout fishing in Arizona. That was my go-to was high mountain. Yeah, see trout. that's a totally that's a totally different beast compared to what we're doing. Ours come in on a truck on a Monday and they get caught Monday afternoon. <laughs> they I, taste like crap. I can follow that logic. I really can. I mean, we if I'm gonna do any type of trout fishing, I mean they're not gonna be eat- edible, but they're nine inch under nine inch native trout fishing in a lot of the little creeks um that's my favorite okay so Um, are you going at them with like light tackle spinners or are you going at them with flies no tiny 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 like trout magnets tiny tiny little things i mean these things are tiny six seven eight nine inches i mean they're not very big native trout are tiny um okay so i wouldn't we had a we had a show a few weeks back uh, I believe you were at the show up there your way and there was a tactic that was thrown out. Did you try that? No, you know what? And I, I'm kind of, you know what? That really upsets me to be honest with you, because, um, I wanted to have Matt back on with the, the Mealy master dude. Um, exactly. I would love to have him back on and explain it. And the way that we, we set this up was for him to come on before opening day of trout season. But trout season got opened early, and we weren't able to have Matt back on. And I'm a little upset about it, but soon we will make sure to have Matt on, and we'll talk it when it's relevant time, um, probably around Easter. So we will have Matt on, I promise you, and he will talk being a mealy master. All right. Well, we can definitely work with that because 
when I find a good creek that I can test that. So usually I run flies in creeks, but I really want to try that because sometimes fly fishing these creeks out here in Virginia mm -hmm. is thick and you're doing a lot of rollover casts and things like that. That's a pain in the ass. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to just throw a wrench right in this conversation real quick because I want to go back to, um, just talking about the fact of being able to go outside quarantine and the COVID-19, so on and so forth. Um, I never understood this and I'm so glad to see this. And I think it's the greatest thing that ever happened was the COVID-19. I know it's fucked up to say, and I get it and I understand it and I'm no, sorry. I'm with you. Don't, don't feel bad, man. Don't, don't apologize for shit. But people, I, I had this conversation with Caddy Cowboy. You guys might not know who he is. Some of you will, some of you won't, but Caddy Cowboy is a good friend of mine. Um, he's my neighbor, roommate, best friend, uh, in the past, um, was my roommate, um, so we were talking the other day and he was like, dude, he goes, I don't understand how, you know, the whole family is on the couch playing on their phone, so on and so forth. They get locked down. They're in quarantine, can't go anywhere. And now everyone's out walking on trails. Yeah. So it's polar opposite of what it's been in the past. <laughs> so dude, now people are outside doing more things than you know they who have put in the it past. Best. Running on that line, you know who put this best out of everyone mm. I've heard through this whole ordeal? G. Motherfucking uh, modern assassin. Right. That dude put out a post and in his last podcast flat out said, this is a be careful what you wish for a moment. Exactly. You, you wish you had time to read a book. You wish you had more time with the kids. You wish you had more time to do shit around the house. He wasn't lying. All these people who've been bitching, nobody's doing shit, or they're out doing things that they never do. Mm -hmm. So, I mad props for G for calling that out. Yeah, it's for true. sure. Well, man, you know what? Speaking of, I really wish that we get the guest on. Wait, did props spur this? Yeah. Wait, so you mean like we have somebody with a little bit of say-so on the stage, a little bit of presence? Uh-huh. A guy who may have gone over and done some very unique hunting in the Middle East. Uh-huh. Some of the toughest places that people are afraid to go. Uh-huh. All right, I'm sold. All right, but before we get too crazy and too carried away, I want to thank a couple of people to make who make this possible. Good call. I want to thank Mock from Nor'easter Game Calls, nor'eastergamecalls.com. Get them in close. Check them out. The new turkey pot calls. Um, the Prospector Series. There you uh, go. You nailed it. Boom, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> boom, boom, bang, bang. Um, <laughs> so get that money maker. Get out there. Strike them up. That's it, man. We got those hybrids, um, half burl wood, half acrylic um, with glass. Check those out, nor'eastergamecalls.com. Um, second person that we need to thank is Broadside Camo. Oh, Scott Shearer, that Ascender Camo series made for the tree saddle hunter, made for tree stands hunter. And turkey season is upon us. We are rolling deep. Look at that Versalite series. It's the only series you can get that's going to cover you in hardwoods and in the greens. 
We also have a promo code coming very, very soon. Waiting for technology to catch up with our times. It'll be um, out by the time this airs. For for sure. So we'll definitely have a promo series, uh, promo code for that. Um, make sure you get that. And, um, and just and, just a hint on that is uh, if you buy something, you may be getting a little something extra on the side. That's it, man. That's our promo code. Um, speaking of promo code, Outdoor Drive 10. Use that for ethics archery. Gonna Your fire adult, them arrows. adult arrows. That's it, man. So check them out. Big Hoss, give them a holler, give them a call. Get yourself some inserts, outserts, spinning inserts. You name it, they got it. Um, make that arrow right. Um, and then speaking of making stuff right, who else? Hmm. I think I'm gonna jillify my bow with some of them wicked twisted bow strings. That's right, man. Definitely 100 percent That's who I would have make my bow strings. Um Speaking of going on that note with Jill, check her out at TraderJans.com. Yes, it sir. Is Trader, yes, TraderJans.com. www.TraderJans.com. You can check her out. She's actually shipping out with the tough times now, man. Support your local businesses. Help them out. They helped out all your sports teams. They've helped out you throughout the entire way. Help her out. Go to Jill, uh, TraderJans.com and buy something. And regardless, um, support your local bow shops. For PF, sure. Start here. For sure. And and also with that, um, she is also doing a special right now with her bow strings. Um, if, uh, if you prepay for yours March 24th through April 7th, free shipping – on all web orders for your local customers, I will take 15% off of your order. So if you're local to the area, she's going to take 15 off. If you're not and you order it online, you will get free shipping. So that's, that's huge. Sweet, man. That's definitely badass. So go and help them out. Help out Nor'easter Game Calls, Ethics Archery, Broadside Camo, and Trader Jans. And nobody needs them more than this time. Bam. Were you ready to roll, man? Yeah, dude. I am ready to get my man on the phone. All right. Well, uh, I think the show should start because uh, we got an actor on today. <laughs> nice shot. Here comes a shooter. Shooter. Big buck. Stack, stack, stack. All right, we're back on the phone with a good friend, Fisher Neal from Learn to Hunt NYC. How you doing, Fisher? I'm doing well, man. How are you? Oh, hanging in there, man. Um, why don't we uh why don't we turn this key and get this thing underway? Why don't you tell them who you are, where you're from, and what you do? Yeah, so uh my name is Fisher Neal. I live in Jersey City, New Jersey, though I originally hail from Knoxville, Tennessee. 
Um, I'm a professional actor, and um, I also am a uh, outfitter specializing in uh, teaching lessons and giving guided hunts to total beginners from New York. That's pretty awesome, man. And what, what made you get into that? What made you do that? Well, it was kind of like, um, you know, being an actor, you have a necessity to have some kind of a survival job. Um, and you know what I mean? Like it's just too inconsistent of work to not have something else going on. And, um, you know, so I just like thought, how can I turn my passion into my source of income? You know what I mean? And it's like, there because i think also because i was an actor i was in contact with so many people who had all this interest and thought like hunting for your own food was like this really cool and exciting idea but no had no idea whatsoever on how they could get started i just thought man like i'm in a city of what like eight million people like there's bound to be at least a thousand people here who'd be willing to pay me to teach them um and, you know, I did some internet research and there was nobody else offering that sort of thing. So I was like, well, it's a no brainer. I can just make a website and see what happens. And, um, you know, that's the, the short version of, of how it all got started. Obviously it's, you know, grown and evolved since then. So, so you originally came from Tennessee. So were, did you mm -hmm. grow up in a, in a family? Like how, how did you get started into? Well, obviously you grew no, up I did grow up in a family. <laughs> well, <laughs> thanks guys. I do mean it like that. <laughs> um, yeah. Like yeah, a hunting dad, family or? Okay. Yeah. My dad was into it. He'd grown up in a rural part of the state out in, uh, near Paris, Tennessee. And um, so, you know, by the time I was born, he was uh, addicted hunter of a number of species and so you know i was born into hunting it was like something i loved and was passionate about since i was probably five years old do you know what i mean like i was going yeah. along with my dad on dove hunts and then deer hunts and then i took hunter red when i was 10 you know it, it was um yeah passion from a super early age um and then uh i you know i got into acting in high school and that led me to I went to the Yale um, master's program for acting and uh, in Connecticut. And then, you know, after that, you kind of like need to go to a, a major center like New York or L.A. to have a chance for your career to really launch, you know, and to be a big time career. Yeah. Here in Connecticut, you're not going to get that. No, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> you have, so so when you had gotten so obviously in Tennessee, there's there's a ton of hunting resources. Then you came mm -hmm. up to Connecticut. There's a little bit. And then you went to New York City where there was nothing. Well, yes and no, man. I mean, that's what I always thought, you know, like I was thinking from the m minute I decided that like acting was a thing I wanted to do as a career. I was like, well, I know I'll eventually need to move like to New York City and then there's no way in hell I'll be able to hunt, at least not on a regular basis. You know, I was like, I guess it'll be relegated to like when I go home for the holidays or something. But um, while I was in school, I did a ton of research, you know, trying to find public land. And this is before Onyx existed. So I was like on the New York fishing game website and the New Jersey fishing game website and then getting on Google Maps and like, you know, how far is a drive from Queens to this location? How far is a drive from Brooklyn to that location? And, 
you know, f figuring out where the heck public land was, you know. Um, and I eventually figured out that in New Jersey, if I position myself in Jersey City, um, that like within an hour drive of Jersey City, there were, you know, dozens of properties ranging from 50 to uh, 10,000 acres that, you know, were open to public hunting. Um, and, you know, that's a distance that's within a day's drive. Um, you know what I mean? Like you don't have to, it's a long drive in the morning, but it's not like impossible. So, right. um, you know, it, and it actually turns out that like it, in a bizarre way, like the deer hunting in New Jersey in these like dense areas is actually better than the deer hunting in East Tennessee where I grew up. So you're more like in the urban areas. You're doing the urban projects, doing that kind of hunting? I'm doing everything I can, man. I mean, you know, this past fall, I took, I don't know, like 40, 40 or 50 people out deer and turkey hunting. And wow. we killed That's awesome. uh, We killed 26, I think. Um, you know what I mean? So I need to hunt a lot of different places to harvest that number of animals. Cause obviously I'm putting pressure on public land where other people are also putting pressure. Um, so yeah, I've got some spots that are in tight to neighborhoods. Um, in, in a couple rare circumstances, I've been able to get permission to hunt people's backyards. Um, but there's also lots of, you know, little public lands that are adjacent to those types of areas that, are, and they just, have dense deer populations as a result, but I'm also hunting in the agricultural areas and in the mountainous areas. Um, I've only really found one mountainous area that has a ton of deer. Um, most of the, the more mountain areas are, you know, they're more sparsely populated with deer. So I don't concentrate my effort there. Um, but, but yeah, man, I mean, there's, there's a lot of people everywhere you go, even in the rural areas. Um, but there's a ton of deer, you know what so I mean? How long has this project, or not project, but your business been, you've been guiding doing this? Yeah, and yeah. yeah. Um, I started, like, with the idea in 2014, um, but I really didn't, like, it really wasn't much of a thing yet, uh, partly because I didn't know how to sell it, but um, the biggest thing was that there was no apprentice license then. Um, so the only people who could hunt with me were people who had already taken the step to take hunter education. Um, and you know, the, the thing that I would find is like, I would get fairly regular emails from people or even phone calls from people interested in trying it out. But it was always like, uh, you know, in the middle of hunting season and they wanted to try it out like in a week or two. Um, so, you know, like. I always had to tell those people, well, you got to wait until next year. And I never heard from any of them again. Um, so the only people I was taking out were like the very small number of people who had already taken hunter education and still were looking for somebody to teach them the ropes. Um, and then like three years ago, New Jersey got the apprentice license and it just like changed everything. So it's only really been a serious thing for the last three years, I'd say. So how do they do their apprenticeship program? Just so people know. Yeah, so the way the apprentice works in New Jersey, it is a little different in every state how the what the rules of it are. But uh, it, the basic premise is that you can go hunting without having taken hunter education course as long as you are directly accompanied by a you know licensed 
mentor 21 years of age or older. Um, and, uh, the, in New Jersey, they allow you to do that for up to two seasons, um, before you have to take hunter education course. And it has, it has almost no restrictions on the like types of hunting that are accessible to you. The only restrictions are you cannot hunt bear as an apprentice and you cannot, um, you're allowed to hunt coyote and fox at night here with a special permit, but you're excluded from doing that. Um, as a apprentice. but otherwise, yeah, exactly. Um, but otherwise it's just as valid for everything as the standard license with the caveat that you have to have a mentor like physically with you at all times. And it has to be a one-to-one basis. You know, I couldn't go out and mentor like three people at the same time when I have multiple clients, I need to hire extra hands to come in and be the mentor. So on a, on a regular, on a regular day. So when you're about to take somebody out, like, do you do one day, two day, three day? Like what is, what is your normal procedure with them? Most people are doing one day. Um, or at least they start with one day. It's an interesting thing that I found and I've realized like partly why I'm getting that business and not, not necessarily traditional outfitters because traditional outfitters are all offering like three day, four day, seven day packages. And for somebody who's just starting out and just trying it, like they're not ready to drop that money. Um, so like what I get, the, the most common thing that I get initially is people doing what I call an apprentice hunt. Um, and that's literally like start to like th- the whole nine yards in one day. We start with a shooting lesson in the morning. You know, we're either usually doing crossbow or a rifled shotgun. Um, so, you know, I spend like an hour or so at a range in the morning with them, getting them confident, shooting well knowing how to place the shot and all that, coaching them and how to uh, stop a deer and going through all of that stuff. Um, then we go into the woods and I, I spend a few hours, it, you know, it depends how much time we spend because in September the days are way different than they are in January in terms of length. But, um, you know, I basically teach them how to scout in that period of time. So I, you know, go around, try to find all the major deer signs, a rub, a scrape, tracks, trails, droppings, teach them all that stuff and just kind of dump as much knowledge about those signs and what they mean as I can. Um, And usually also I'm teaching like, especially I want to make sure they know how to identify oak trees and why they're significant. Um, And then we go and actually just hunt. We do a sit in the afternoon. Um, so I have a lot of people who come to me and they only actually hunt for half a day. Um, but then, uh, you know, then I get people who sometimes maybe they book me two days or three days or they'll book one day and then they don't get a deer and then they book another. And before you know it, they've, they've done three or four days, you know, it's kind (laughs) of, it's ironic actually that I have a disincentive to get people deer (laughs) to a certain extent because, you know, freezer space around here is quite limited, when you're in an apartment. So usually when I get a client, a deer, they stop hiring me for the rest of the season. Oh, cause they fill um, right up. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. You know, they maybe come back next year, but, um, for this year it's done. If, if they don't get a deer, they, they might come back three or four times. <laughs> and what does it cost to do a hunt like that with you? 
I'm, I do uh, five sixty five for a day uh, if it's just one day, and then I come down to five hundred for you know if people buy more than one day. Wow, that's awesome! And they get the full experience, so you get your whole lifetime worth of learning in one day. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and I'm also obviously I'm supplying them with uh, top of the line crossbow or shotgun and tree stand and camo if they need it and harnesses and you know all that stuff all they really got to do is show up and and go have a good time that's that's that was my next question like what what do they have to bring to do this yeah the only thing they got to bring is a driver's license so they can get their hunting license although actually now thankfully they've made it so you can buy a lot of your licenses online and print them at home um but yeah i mean other than that i mean the big thing really that I can't provide people very often is like appropriate clothing for the weather. Um, you know, I do have some stuff that's like extra stuff that I have that I will give people if they'll fit into it. Um, but you know, when it comes to like really cold weather or rainy weather, you know, when it comes to footwear, those are, those are the one things where it's really helpful, you know, if people can provide their own stuff. Absolutely. And you don't only do haunts though. You do, uh, forging also for, for people. Oh yeah, man. I'm just getting started in, in leading those. It's a, it's a thing that, um, it didn't really become a serious passion for me until the last few years. And it's just kind of snowballed, you know what I mean? As I start to learn one species and then another and then another. Um, and I made contact with this, uh, I became friends with this really cool guy who actually makes his living going to farmers markets and as a food purveyor for groceries, uh, excuse me, for uh, restaurants, almost entirely with foraged plants and mushrooms. Um, he goes out and he picks himself and he's also got other guys and I've become one of them now who he sort of, uh, you know, assigns to go out and uh, find him certain things when they're in season. So, um, you know, I've learned a ton from him. And uh, as a result, I'm now at the point where, you know, in the warm months, if there's been rain, I, I can pretty much fill up the back of your truck with just some kind of greens or mushrooms, depending on what's out. You know what I mean? Wow, that's awesome. And and especially being so close to the city. And I guess that, that's a huge attraction for people that are in the city. And I I hope so. We'll see. <laughs> and it keeps well i mean i mean i don't even know how you get time to act on top of this i mean you're taking out you know that many people hunting and then foraging and everything else like where do you even have the time to go and act well i mean that's uh an ongoing conversation you know like in some cases when it comes to like tv stuff those jobs they typically don't take that much time you know what i mean like uh i did a a TV show last year and it was three days that were spaced out over two weeks. Um, so all I really had to do was clear those three days and I could do that job. Um, theater is a whole other can of worms and, uh, you're right. Like there's no way I can do both at the same time. Um, right now the way I'm working it is like, I'm basically not doing theater shows during deer season. Um, because it's just too, I mean, I'm making a good living doing deer hunting. And to be honest with you, unless you're like in a big Broadway show, working in the theater is very poor, like pay, right. you know what I mean? Like you don't make anything. 
Um, so it's kind of like, like pod, podcasting. You're you're doing it because you're passionate about it, but it doesn't pay, right? Yeah, you're <laughs> okay. passionate about it, and and in the case of like, in some cases, uh, you know, the reason why you're doing it is for visibility to elevate your profile, um, and and that would be like doing an off Broadway play, um, you know, because there are a number of very prestigious off Broadway theaters, some of which actually have decent pay now. Um, but, uh, you know, it ranges from very poor to average, you know, to moderate pay. Um, you know, if you can get a large role in one of those productions, it has the potential to really like blow up your career. You know, if you're in this like hot show and a big role that makes a splash, like all of a sudden now the Broadway producers want to have you in their show. Now all the TV shows want to have you as a guest, you know, you're getting opportunities to audition for series regulars and stuff. Whereas without that visibility, it's other people who are already visible, who are already, you know, established within the industry who are getting those opportunities. Um, it's a whole thing, man. <laughs> people think it's about talent and, and it does have a lot to do with talent, but um, it has a lot more to do with other things, just how far you get at a certain point. Well, speaking of some of that, um, you got to do something real recently that really piqued my intrigue. Uh, had me interested, and I wanted yeah, to that? go through that story a little bit. So you just returned not too long ago from a trip out in Pakistan, if I'm correct. Yeah, man. Walk me I through sure that. I, I really want to hear kind of how it's changed from when I was around there. Yeah, so, I mean, I went because, um, you know, my significant other and likely future wife is from there. Um, and, uh, so I was going over there to visit with her family and get to know the, the culture and the place. And, uh, it just so happens that, um, her father is into hunting and, um, which is rare. So yeah. Um, and, uh, so he, managed to uh, hook me up with one of his buddies um, who's like this tribal chief. Um, his name is uh, Akhtar Mangal. Um, and his family is a very powerful family in the Balochistan province. He's like a, a member of the National Political Assembly. Like he actually is the leader of a political party. Wow. Um, and um, like back in the 90s, um, he you know, basically in conversations with local tribesmen set up a conservancy area um, in, you know, on their lands where hunting was prohibited and they were able to stop poaching from happening and to build it toward the point where it could be like a viable, you know, trophy hunting destination. Um, and they've now got, you know, like the uh, I call it, call it the WAD Wildlife Society. Um, that's a part of it. That's like uh, part helps manage everything, you know. Yeah. Um, so they now have a growing population, a healthy population of uh, Uriel sheep and Sind ibex and uh, Chinkara antelope, and they're breeding um, black buck from India to release. Um, right. So I got. I got basically just the, this unbelievable gift of an opportunity to go and hunt Uriel um, on their land as a guest. And uh, 
yeah, I mean, I could talk about it for a long time, man. It's one of the most incredible experiences of my life. You know, like this guy, first of all, I mean, the place before I met my girlfriend, I was afraid of Pakistan. You know, I thought that like being there at all, I was going to have like a target on my back all the time. You right. know what I mean? And, that and it was going to be really unsafe. is you get that, oh, it's the Middle East. It's unsafe. Someone's going to try to shoot me. You're there yeah. in a different circumstance and they actually welcome hunters. They welcome these opportunities to grow their economy just like anywhere else. Yeah. And it's I mean, unique it's, at that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there, there are some bad people over there. It's true. But, um, the vast majority of people are not those people. Um, you know what I mean? It, it's actually like still a somewhat plural society. I mean, there are, there's like Hindu shrines all around the place. We went to a couple of them. Um, you know what I mean? It's not like it's a hundred percent Muslim there. Um, and the, the tradition they have there of like, you know, uh, honoring guests is crazy it's so generous that I felt like uncomfortable at times because I was being put on such a pedestal, you know what I mean? And like, right. It, it given, can be overwhelming so much. Yeah. Like I felt like, like I'm taking advantage or something because they just wouldn't, they wouldn't let me do anything. Um, you know, like after I shot my sheep, um, I wanted to go and like help with the recovery, you know, cause I shot it from up on top of a cliff down and it was like, in among all these um, big boulders and uh, they wouldn't let me participate in that. And I was like, I didn't really understand at that moment. And I, I talk about that in the video, you know, I didn't understand at that moment, like why they weren't allowing me. I thought it was because they felt obligated because, you know, like they were there to work and I was the, the master type, you know, rich guy or whatever. But um, it's not that at all, you know? Um, and that sort of thing, like played out again and again, like, uh, at the end of the trip, I didn't get any film of this, but at the end of the trip, I went waterfowl hunting, um, in, uh, the Indus river Valley, uh, a different friend no of his. Kidding. Yeah, dude. That's they, um, awesome. we had, he said it was a really slow day. Uh, we killed like 20 coots. <laughs> um, it was all coots for the most part. They hadn't gotten there their um you know puddle ducks in yet but uh and that was a totally different experience too because instead of being like out on the trip with it was like me with just um you know helpers this was like eight high status men who were all buddies and hunting together they had a whole crew of like 10 people playing support basically what it was was these like um you know they've got these like two foot deep aquaculture ponds that are these big rectangles and they're they're raising like carp and shit in them for um you know fish markets that of course obviously ducks love as well and so they get in there with um with uh they look like little handmade canoes you know that sit low in the water um and two shooters in the front and a guy pushing and a guy uh picking up birds and spotting them in the back uh, and so like four different boats of that with eight shooters went pushing back and forth through all these um 
reeds, you know, flushing ducks. Anyway, the reason I brought that whole thing up is just because um, my my girlfriend's dad was in the boat with me, and um, he refused to shoot at anything. You know what I mean? I kept saying, "All right, these ones, you shoot first. Go shoot them." And he's like, "No, no, no. You go. You go. You go." It, like I don't think he even pulled the trigger the whole time we were out there. You know what I mean? Because he just wouldn't. Right. You're the guest. You get first dibs on everything. Yeah, exactly. It's, exactly. It's a unique aspect that a lot of people don't understand. And you really touched on a piece that I, I'm going to say most people in the U.S. don't understand that, you know, we have our groups here, you know, all our hunting buddies, we all get together, we go to camp. You're in Pakistan doing the same thing. They do it too. They're normal mm -hmm. people. They're hunters. Mm -hmm. They like to get together at camp and have a good time too. That's totally. worldwide. And you're one of the few people who've ever got to experience that in an area where in the Western mentality, it doesn't exist. It does. It's, it's legit where you got to go out there and waterfowl is unique. I mean, people don't get to go do that. And I've seen some of the flyway through there. It's, it's impressive. So my hat's off to you, man. That's a, a heck of a good thing to do to knock off in your lifetime. Yeah, it's, um, it's amazing. I, I really, um, I can't wait to go back and, and do it again. And they all, you know, all the guys on the duck hunt were like inviting me to come, come with them again. The guy whose land we hunted on, well, A, he insisted that I take all of the ducks. Um, he was like, these are all a gift for you. Everything that everyone has shot today is a gift for you. Um, and I actually was like, I don't know what to do with all these ducks, man. I'm leaving the country. It's hard to days. get that through the customs. Um, I tried to I actually told him, I was like, well, why don't I, um, you know, now that they've been given to me, why don't I maybe like, I'll give them to these men who've been working for us. And he was like, no, why would you do that? Um, it was clearly like he was offended, you know, if I wasn't going to take them. Um, but, uh, so I ended up did taking them and then I gave them away later, um, to other people. But, uh, but yeah, he's like, no, you have to come back next year and you come back and you stay for a month and we're going to hunt everything. We're going to hunt partridge. We're going to hunt duck. We'll go up and we're going to hunt Ibex. I'm like, this is like no crazy. <laughs> so, so you are a first on the show. I'll give you that. I've heard a lot of people laugh and joke about trying to marry into a family for hunting rights. I think you just stumbled into like a gold mine that nobody's ever considered. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> you know? it, thank you. Thank you. It's uh, <laughs> when my girlfriend listens to this though, she's going to be mad. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll make it clear. That was not the intentions behind it. It lined right. up that way. Naturally it just worked out that way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's how you want it. If it ain't natural, it's not meant to be. So, Congrats to her as well. So speaking of that, what does she think about you hunting? Like, is she supportive? She behind you? You know, what's the situation? Oh yeah. I mean, I don't think that, um, I don't think that I could be in a serious relationship with someone who wasn't supportive. It's too big of a part of my life. Um, so I mean, yeah, she's a, she's a big fan. She loves all the meat. You know, we, we cook a lot and, uh, we only cook with stuff that I've hunted or fished. Um, or in some cases like fish that has been given to us, but, um, but yeah, so she's a, she's a big fan. She's come out with me a couple of times 
and been a real good sport about it, but not really enjoyed it. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Um, she's like, you know, she'll enjoy a hike on a trail, but like bushwhacking and dealing with like thorns and insects is just like not, you know, that's not fun for her. So, but no, she's, she's, uh, fully, fully on board and, um, remarkably supportive of my hunting habit for sure. (laughs) Obviously she just hooked you up with the best father-in-law in in future. I know. Right. (laughs) So I'm actually, that's cool. I'm actually working on trying to set up a a thing, you know, they need, they, they need more hunters to come, you know, so that they can sell all the tags that they have. So I'm, I'm working on, um, you know, figuring out how to become an outfitter so that I can bring Americans over there um, to go on these hunts, you know, as like paying guests and stuff like that. Um, I'm, I'm getting there, but it, it's a lot to, yeah, that's, to figure out. With how the to international the and communications stuff. and all of that, I can imagine that's going to be treacherous at the least, but I really want to follow along with that because that's awesome. I mean, that is you hear about people doing it in Mexico and in Brazil and places like that, but you don't see too many people or hear of too many people over here in the U S that are becoming licensed guides to go over there. Mm-hmm. And that in itself is amazing. So we definitely want to follow that story. Sweet. And you're actually, you're actually working on another project right now, right? I think I saw. Oh, uh, doing a TV show. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, I mean, it's still like in the beginning stages. Yeah. But I mean, I, people have been telling me for years that I should have my own show and, um, well, you are an I decided, actor. yeah, I'm, I'm kind of the, like <laughs> maybe the person born to have a hunting show. Exactly. Um, but I don't know. I hadn't really like necessarily gotten fully behind the idea until like, in the last about a year ago is when I was finally convinced that this was a path that I should go down. And so I started, uh, I borrowed a, a GH three from a friend and, um, eventually this year, you know, like when the new iPhones came out, I, I got the new iPhone, which is remarkably effective for, um, some shots and just started filming as much as I could of my hunts. And then I also actually rented some equipment and like hired a, a friend who's a, very skilled videographer to come and, you know, do a proper like attempt at a pilot for my own show. Um, and I have a client who, who advised me, he's in the, in the industry with a production company. He advised me that like what I needed to do was make this like sizzle reel that I could then use to pitch production companies and then production companies, if I could get one excited about it, then maybe they would go around and pitch to channels and it would have like a real shot. Um, so what you guys saw, I just decided to go ahead and release the sizzle reel just to everybody so that other people could see it and hopefully get excited about it. And, um, I've been really like so excited by the response that I've gotten. People have been just, um, yeah, all about it. And, uh, in fact, the, the production company that, um, you know, that my client runs, they, they want to be a part of it. So, you know, we're talking about, um, actually putting together a formal thing to to pitch it to channels so but i mean that's that's like crazy early stages and of course that conversation took place um a week before 
you know, it was the second week of March. It was like right before everything went to shit. Um, so everything's tabled at the moment and nobody knows what the heck is happening. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for the, the possibilities of that. I when I saw it, I was like, well, "This this is like a dream come true. This is just absolutely, you know, just a match made in heaven." Um, especially what you're doing with people from NYC and bringing them out into the woods. Like this is what people need to see, and especially for you know the anti hunters or the people that are just uneducated. Is this just it's just a match made in heaven, man? And and I think what you're doing is is absolutely perfect dude and and I'm 100% behind you in this project because I love it. I think it's I think it's a great thing and I think for us and for the sport and everything like that it's just it's it's just perfect. Honestly. Thanks man. Yeah, I've I've been thinking for for many years about it because it's it's always been uh, for a long time I've been really acutely aware of how much pretty much all the hunting media out there is really just glorified infomercials you know what i mean it's it's they're sponsored by products and the and the mm -hmm. audience is entirely for existing hunters um it's not until you get to like steven ranella and meat eater that you start to see hunting a hunting show that has appeal to a broader non-hunting audience you know what i mean and that's really that's my focus at this moment is like how can i make a show that could be on the discovery channel and not the outdoor channel. You know what I mean? That, that is going to educate and inspire non hunters and not just hunters. And, and, and that's, and, and that's a great point because honestly you want to be on those, those, you know, the discovery channel, national geographic, so on and so forth, because you, there's a lot of people that are in the unknown category more that th there's not, I guess that there's the people who are for hunting and then people that are against hunting, but the greater group are just the unknown, the people that really don't care one way or the other. So I mm -hmm. think if I think with what you're doing is going to fully encapsulate that, that whole entire group and just kind of put that perspective in their eye. Yeah, definitely. I, a big thing that I want to dive into is like the richness of perspective and emotional relationship that people have to hunting because, you know, most people who aren't involved in it have no idea what a, like a genuine human response to killing something is. You know what I mean? Like it's either portrayed as being this like kind of barbaric blood sport or, you know, like a buffoons doing it out in the woods. You know what I mean? Like it's rare that, mm -hmm. that, um, in, in like popular media that, that hunters are portrayed in an authentic way. Um, and I think that that, I mean, that really has profound impact on people's psyche and the way people think of hunters and hunting, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm rambling at this point. No, 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 you're, you're good, good, man. man. And, and, and I guess like a lot of your clients that you take, I mean, are they people who, you know, they've obviously never done it before, but do they, they're just doing it because they want to educate themselves in it or they're just they're just unsure or it's more of a curiosity thing or I mean, where are you? I mean, mostly it's people who are like all about the idea of um, getting their meat this way, you know, who have adopted the point of view that hunting is a healthier and more 
like ethical and sustainable way to get meat than by buying it from, you know, a mass factory in a grocery store. I think that's like generally the the mindset that is bringing most people in right now. And that, in my perception, is largely coming from um, that really started for me with Michael Pollan uh, several years ago, wrote a book called uh, The Omnivore's Dilemma. Um, it was also, uh, it was also, um, I think they made it into like a, a mini series, a TV series like called Food Inc. And, um, and the other thing, big one is Joe Rogan's podcast. Um, there's a lot of people, I would say like maybe 50% of the people who come to me have been inspired by him talking about hunting and talking about the meat. Um, and yeah, nobody's, nobody's after horns who's coming out with me and I'm, I'm straight up with them. Like, you know, we're not, we're not trying to kill big ones here. I mean, we will try to kill big ones if we get the opportunity, but the focus here is to get you meat for the freezer. You know what I mean? Yeah. Get one under the belt, pop the cherry, you know, get them that first experience, you know, cause if you go out chasing monsters from day one, you're never going to have a good experience. Oh yeah, definitely. And, and honestly, a lot of these people have like, very conflicted um, opinions about trying to kill a big one in the first place, um, you know, because there's a, a lot of stigma around the the name, the word trophy hunting. Um, you know, they, it's, yeah, there, there's like a, it's taboo to, to shoot something because it's large and because you want to like mount it for, for a lot of these people, but to shoot something and, and eat it is like noble and good. And that's, and that's what they want is they just, they just want to fill the freezer and that they're doing it for all the right reasons at that point. Totally. You know, the thing that, the thing that they usually come to understand as they go through it is that like wanting to shoot a big one or something is not, is, is not different from wanting to eat it. You know, like you get to a certain point where like, okay, yeah, I can shoot a doe, Anytime I want to, now I want to have a bigger challenge. So I'm going to hold out and try to get a big one. And I'm going to be even more excited about it when I finally achieve that. And of course, I'm going to eat it, duh. You know, but in the, in the popular mind, it's not that common that people really grasp that, you know. Well, in the current state, the way this year has gone, as a lot of people have learned and experienced the hard way for the first time in their lives, someone who went out and shot two or three does and filled the freezer, had some fish filleted and thrown in the freezer. They they didn't have to worry about some of the food shortages that other people ran into, some of the grocery issues other people ran into. You know, having that food on hand, that your supply of food, it, it's yeah. not just to have it. There's a purpose behind it. For so, sure. I, For I sure, think and the confidence a, to know that like you can get it if you need more. Exactly. That self-sufficiency that's been lost throughout a lot of America. You know, 6% of the world really still has that. The mm -hmm. rest of them, not counting places like Pakistan, as you experience, they're pretty self-sufficient people. People oh, call them bedrock or old-fashioned or whatever. You can put them out in the wilderness and they'll survive because that's their day-to-day -day life. But. Yeah. Like what America's dealt with this year, 
people have never had to live that way or provide for themselves or have supplies or know how to do certain things for themselves, it's a great wake up call, you know, mm-hmm. and the opportunity, yeah. especially in New York, you know, a lot of this pressure is being felt there and what you're doing, not only is it good to educate them, you may end up saving lives. So, you know, just to put that into perspective. Yeah, that'd be amazing if I saved somebody's life. <laughs> you and, never and know. I, I think yeah. that your service, your service that you're doing now, and it's and it and it growing and progressively growing and growing year after year after year. This this coming year after the pandemic and everything that's happening, I I foresee it just being something absolutely huge for your greater area in this coming mm-hmm. season because I think a lot of people are going to realize it and now it's definitely going to be something that's definitely going to grow for sure. Everyone's going to say, we need to go book an educational trip with this guy. Yeah. Yeah. I've actually decided to start. um, I've restarted my online advertising. I'm running ads on Facebook now for that very reason, hoping that people are sitting at home thinking about this and they, they might stumble onto me in the process. I mean, if you need an extra guide, just let me know. You know, I'm not very far away. <laughs> yeah, man. Hopefully it's going to come to that soon. I mean, this year, this this year I was pretty much five, six days a week in, you know, September through November. So any, um, any growth from that, and I'm going to, I'm going to need to be running more than one crew at a time. We'll mix yeah. it up, throw in some summertime. I hear Trev's a pretty good fisherman. Yeah. yeah, man. Yeah, I just went and uh, got myself a, a New York guides license so I could start dabbling and taking people fishing upstate. Because yeah, obviously the summer is is a downtime hunting wise. Um, though I've done real well foraging last year. I did great foraging, um, and I'll do even better this year if we have rain and assuming that there's demand in the restaurants and stuff again. Um, you know, getting into big big patches of. Um, chanterelle mushrooms and daylilies and all kinds of stuff. Do you find a lot of uh, morels? I know on the website and stuff it has a bunch of pictures, but is that from is that from your area or is that more or less back mm-hmm. home? No, it's all um, Jersey. I don't think I've I don't think I've ever found a morel in Tennessee. Honestly, really, um, it's not because they're not there. It's just because I didn't really know what I was doing yet. Um, and I hadn't put in the miles. You honestly, you got to put in a lot of miles to call find that turkey them. season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you got to put it in at the right time. Morels are only out for like two weeks, maybe two and a half. So, um, or maybe three, you know, if you got like a spot that gets a lot of sun and a spot that's got shade. Right. But, um, you know, so if you don't put in the miles right then, then you don't find them. You no, know, they'll come up in uh the same spots often year after year though the with the way the conditions change and stuff like sometimes you'll find them there one year and you don't another year um or you find a bunch one year but only like one or two the next year but it's a it's a cumulative thing um you know and this is the case with you know all the species that i'm foraging for you know you learn where a mushroom patch is and if you know when the time is to check it then it's like okay, I know I can go and if there's been rain and it's right, like I can probably score some here and there and there. And then you just put in more and more miles and acquire as many of those spots as you can. You know what I mean? So that's how you end up where 
like last year I had my biggest day yet. I found nine pounds of morels in a day. Wow. Wow. That's um, huge for New England. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I mean, yeah, it, it was, it was crazy. And, um, uh, you know, who knows if I'll, if I'll be able to repeat it, maybe I will, you know, I think last year was weird for morels too. This so. I last year was weird in general for, for, for forging. Um, there was definitely abundance of a lot of different things. I didn't see a lot of hen in the woods, which the year before was a lot of hen oh, in the yeah. woods. Almost um, it was too dry. Yeah. It was really weird um, for the for the hen. But to be honest, I think this year being wet and and it's been it's been very mild. I think there's going to be. I foresee there being a very good uh, harvest year for for forging. Yeah, uh, the way things are going right now, I, I think you're right. Um, we might start seeing things come out pretty early. Um, they're already, I follow a, um, a morel group in Tennessee and people are finding bunches of them down there right now. Yeah. Georgia um, was the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, what was I going to say? Oh yeah. I was going to talk about chanterelles cause I, I, uh, I got into a huge chanterelle patch this year and, um, it was really good until like, mid June. And then we just stopped getting rain. We didn't get a good soaking rain from mid June until it must've been September, you know, like we would get like a shower here and there, but it's the kind of thing that like runs off and then steams off because it only showered for like a couple hours, you know? And as a result, the mushrooms just quit. And they just disappeared. You couldn't find them anywhere. Yeah, they, well, they stopped fruiting. Yeah, and there were hardly any um, black trumpets. I, I've still, I've only found a couple of them. But um, my mentor Dan is like, you know, it's around the same times and places as chanterelles. But he was, he never found them really. You know what I mean? Like he's got spots where they come up, and it just didn't happen last year. Yeah, they those two need a lot of moisture, and if they don't have it, same with hen. If it doesn't have a lot of moisture, it just it's just not there. They're mm. really tough mm. to find. The hens but hopefully are so this cool. I love hens and and they taste so darn good too. There's yeah. so many recipes to go with them. Um and that's the same with chicken. I mean, chicken's one of the one of my favorite mushrooms because you can do so many different things with it. You can saute it, you can I, I mean, you can you can bread it, fry it. I mean, you name it, you can do it with it. Um Yeah. And you can find some big chickens too. Did you see that one I found last spring? I did. I did. How Dude. many pounds was it? I don't remember. Um, I think what I was actually able to sell ended up being like, you know, 18 or something like that or 20. But the, the whole thing before it was trimmed was like 28 pounds, I think. Oh, <laughs> crap. Um, isn't it incredible? A, you know, isn't it incredible when you walk up on something like that? You just, it's just mind blowing to you. Um, yeah. Like, like what it, how big it can actually get. Like it's, it's insane. I, I found one two years ago was 48 pounds of chicken. Jeez. Yeah. How it was just his mushroom. Huh? How big oh. was the mushroom? <laughs> it, it was huge. I mean, it was, <laughs> thanks Steve. Um, it was 40, 48 pounds. I, I drove past it and I don't know, there's a local forester here. I mean, a forger here and he literally, I don't know how he didn't see it. And he's always driving around all throughout the woods and stuff. And we check normally the same areas. And I just saw a little tiny piece of it. And I drove up the ladies, the ladies driveway. And I was going to ask her, I was like, Hey, um, oh, know, I remember this. Yeah. 
you mind getting rid of this? And she's like, I don't even know what it is. And I'm like, it's chicken in the woods. I said, it's really healthy. She goes, it's not poisonous. It's orange. And I'm like, no, it's not poisonous. <laughs> I said, it's chicken in the woods. So I go over to it and I, so I, now I'm going around the stump and I see it and I'm like, holy shit. I can't believe how big this thing is. And it was 48 pounds. I ended up harvesting of that one thing and it's never come back. It's been two, two years and it's never come back. And I don't know why. And it really bothers me because you ruined it, man. I probably did, but I mean, there's a problem. No, picking the apples off a tree. Yeah, no, I know. And I cut it properly. I know how to do it. So like, I definitely cut it off properly, but for some reason it just didn't come back. So I'm hoping maybe this year, if we get a little bit more moisture, um, and that was actually, I found it in the fall. Um, it was just a yes. warm fall and it just happened to, it just happened to come out, but it's definitely cool when you find those things and, and just living off the land, especially like, like a time like now, man, you just knowing how to do that. And, and really, you know, like if anything ever happens, we, all three of us on this phone call know how to survive, whether it's foraging mm-hmm. or hunting or fishing or so on and so forth. And it's, and it's really, really important, man. So what you're teaching all these people is, is definitely, it's, it's huge, man. And you're definitely, you're doing something very, very special. You should definitely pat yourself on the back for that. Thanks, man. I think I will. (laughs) (laughs) You definitely should. I got into, um, I got into recently is I've started canning. Really? Yeah. 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 Like I haven't done it for a little minute now, but like, yeah, I got myself a diehard can here every year. It's cool. Dude, yeah. it's the ultimate way to build up your supplies. Yeah. You've never done it, Trev? No, I'm not not a I've never really got into it, man. Like I've done some pickling. Like I'll pickle some ramps um that I pick. Or mm-hmm. um some I'm mostly like my like that chicken in the woods. I took some pieces of it and I actually um dehydrated it and vacuum sealed it, but I've never really gotten to canning. What what kind of things do you can? Um, well, I've done, I've done some jams where I've picked, uh, mulberries and raspberries, um, and made jams. Um, I've also done, uh, like, I like to take my turkey legs and thighs and slow cook them into making like pulled meat soups. So I've canned those. Um, I've also, I also really like to make, um, a venison bolognese sauce, um, and that you're talking. cans really well. It's nice and acidic, you know. And um, I find that the it's holding its flavor so much better that way than when I freeze it. Like when I freeze that stuff, it kind of it comes out. I just feel a little like funky and mm-hmm. watery. You know what I mean? But right, uh, it, when- it doesn't compare to when you can it because it just Mm-mm. it keeps that freshness locked in. Literally, it's yeah. hard to explain. Yeah. No, my mm-hmm. my wife is a genie when it comes to putting stuff in a bottle i'm not gonna lie really so trev uh put that on your checkbook you need to come down here and and get a day from the old yeah. lady <laughs> all right yeah <laughs> he knows what he's talking about that's where it's at now yeah. ha- have you guys ever gotten to like you see um they do it with venison they do the venison canning have oh yeah have you guys done that? yeah i do it every year i haven't it's- done that no where you're just like canning meat instead of freezing it yep and what is what is the process like for that because that's definitely something that like a lot of people i think would be very beneficial for them Uh, we actually we we should put together a video on that that would something that'd be awesome but basically uh we're 
just the venison alone will cube the meat and it'll all be done in the pressure cooker. You'll add your spices. You'll add everything together in, into this concoction, we'll say, and it, it's all healthy. And once it's pressure cooked and sealed, I mean, that meat's cooked. So you put it in the box, you put it in storage, and when I need to pull it out, like say right now I run out of everything and I need food, I can pull that can out, open it up, and eat it like I'm eating beanie weenies or, you know, your Vienna sausages. It's cooked meat and it has the flavor. Or you can turn around and add it into a stew or you can add it into whatever to do a nice hot meal out of. And it, mm-hmm. it's just mm-hmm. like the day you process the meat. It's great. Wow. It's, it's crazy what you can do with canning and preserving. I just, I, that's why I started doing it with the mushrooms because you find so many mushrooms during the season. Yeah. And you, in dehydrating them. And then all you do is you just put them in like a big bowl of water and rehydrate them and use them. Yep. And they just, they just, they just take the way that they did before. One other thing, like if you like doing that with mushrooms and say you're a hash brown fan, this is my go-to. I'm a huge fan of shredding up potatoes, dehydrating them and turning around and using them for like hash browns. Hmm. Are you cooking them before you shred them? I am not. No, well, I've tried two ways. I've done throwing them in the oven and baking them and then shredding them, then dehydrating. And I've tried raw and grating them and dehydrating them. I actually like the raw better. It holds the flavor better. Mm, Wow. I guess I guess there's a whole world of canning that I need to open my eyes to, I guess. Huh? Yeah, definitely. Jeez. So so Fisher, what what do you got planned for this coming up season? You have anything big in the works or anything new or well i mean right now i'm just um hoping and praying that um i'm able to take people hunting during turkey season you know what i mean that that like so i'm, I'm a little worried about what my spring looks like but um for the fall i'm just uh i'm excited and ready there, there's not necessarily anything new unless unless this tv show pans out if that happens then um yeah i definitely got big stuff on the way but uh just uh, just business as usual going forward. Do you have any uh, planned trips for turkey hunting at this point? Any customers or clients yeah, coming Yeah, I've got in? a few customers. i got people who booked for uh, the first week of the season. Um, so I'm expecting that will still be a thing. But, you know, like technically with the way the social distancing, the rules as I read them in New Jersey, like I could probably technically like giving someone a ride in my car – would not be allowed. You know what I mean? Like they okay. need to be in their own car transporting themselves. Um, and then I guess as long as we stay six feet away from each other in the woods, then we're good. You know what I mean? But um, right. just go rent a truck, throw them in the truck bed. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> idea actually. <laughs> um, I'm sure they won't, they won't mind. No, not so at all. As long as riding in a truck bed ain't illegal. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, I am. I'm planning to go down to Tennessee. That season opens up next weekend. Oh, um, awesome! I so, may be down there myself. Oh, nice, nice. I, I'm going to be around Nashville for I don't know, probably like three or four days, and then uh, go over to uh, Knoxville for a day or so. Um, my dad, the house that I grew up in, actually, uh, I grew up on four acres, and um, 
like now it hasn't wasn't the case when I was a kid, but now there are deer and turkeys in our neighborhood. Um, wow. And there's a pretty good flock. And last year I killed a big tom right in my dad's backyard um, with a crossbow. So I'm gonna um, try and try and repeat that. So when you were oh, saying yeah. there, there wasn't a lot of deer, yeah, when I was a kid growing up, you know there there were um, no deer in my neighborhood, but you know there's basically spread. There was one neighborhood in Knoxville that did have deer, and over the years they've just um, you know expanded from there, and now now there's deer walking around right where I grew up. Wow, that's cool. It is and cool. They had a obviously you could have hunted there before. I used to hunt squirrels and stuff um, when my dad wasn't looking. Um, <laughs> but uh, there, there wasn't anything else um, that you could really hunt. I mean, uh, but yeah, I mean, if there had been deer, we could have hunted them for sure. Um, you know, it's four acres. There's plenty of, uh, plenty of space from the neighbors to bow hunt in there. So what you're saying is conservation has worked. Absolutely. There you go. Definitely has worked. So being on the outdoor drive, man, we got one question. And that one question is, what drives you outdoors? Ooh, what drives me outdoors, man? What keeps me indoors? Nothing. <laughs> um, Except the coronavirus. Me, what drives me, that's right. <laughs> what drives me outdoors is just uh, a, a passion for being directly connected to my food. Wow. I like that. We haven't heard that one yet. That's, that's very good. That's pretty direct. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's true yeah. meaning right there. That's right to the heart. I like it. I like that's, that's the best way. It's the best way to get your food. It's the most fun and most rewarding and, um, I'll never stop. And it's, it's the healthiest way, man. No preservatives, no additives, no nothing. I mean, it's, it's straight from, from mother earth herself. Heck yeah. So, so where can everyone find you, man? I mean, they all, they've all heard about you, but they don't know where to find you yet. Yeah. So the place where I'm most active is on Instagram. Uh, my handle is at hunting actor. Um, it kind of rises and falls how, how active I am, but sometimes I'm real active. I give tips and talk about, uh, what I'm up to. Um, and then if people are interested in hiring me and whatnot, then um, learn to hunt nyc.com is the website. Awesome. That's pretty that's pretty easy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you know, I have contact info there. You can email me or call me or whatever. Right. That's awesome. Are you on YouTube or anything like that? Video stuff or I'm I'm just now starting to put that stuff out there. Yeah, that this video that I um that I uh, made from my trip to Pakistan is up on YouTube. Um, but basically that and like one, uh, video that I made to put on my website is, uh, is all my channel is right now. But yeah, I'm definitely planning to, uh, to add to that. You know, I'm a kind of an idiot and I didn't even mention this throughout the thing because we got so indulged in all the hunting and forging and stuff, but what, what TV shows have you been on or movies or so on and so forth so that people can kind of, you know, paint the oh, face, yeah. let them creep on you a little. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the stuff that you would know is um, uh, the biggest one is Law and Order SVU. Uh -huh. um, and that was probably my best TV role. I had two solid scenes in that one. And um, I've also. You were in the helicopter, right? <laughs> I was, yeah. Yeah, I remember that fully. I was, um, and the, um, uh, I did Blind Spot show with okay. the 
lady with all the tattoos. I played oh, a yeah. hitman in that. Um, that was real fun. And then I was uh, also in the second to last episode of Person of Interest. Hmm. Um, and uh, what else? I did a, uh, a national commercial for the Chase Freedom credit card several years ago. And um, other stuff, it's all theater. So That's awesome. Room, yeah. That's awesome. What was it, like Broadway or? I have done one Broadway job. Yeah, it was actually probably the pinnacle, I think, of my acting career because um, the job was to understudy the leading role in a play. Um, it's only a four-person play, and that role is like was so large. You know, it he never leaves the stage for the entire play. And um, in the second to last week of the production run, I actually got to go on one night. Um, so I, uh, for one night, I was the star of a Broadway show. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's sweet. Yeah, well, it was unforgettable. I, I could I could fill an hour talking about that experience. Yeah, I could only imagine, dude. That's got to be one of the craziest things in the world, especially something that you've built yourself up to. I mean, going to school for it and everything like exactly, that. Exactly, man. Like as a kid, to do it. a kid from Tennessee, like dreaming about Broadway. It really was like a genuine dream come true to have that night. You know? Yeah, that's incredible. We'll go over that more on probably a part two. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, yeah. for sure, especially when it, when the TV show comes out, man, because that's I'm I'm really looking forward to that, and I really hope that it takes off. And I mean, if there's anything that we can do on our end, I, I would be more than willing to help out. You, I'm trying Thanks, to be man. like one of the first guys to line up for this thing. If he figures it out in Pakistan, to go out and uh, <laughs> return there without body armor. Yeah, so, yeah. That, I can that. definitely get you over there for sure. The only question I, I have is how I want to set it up so that I can actually make money off of it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll definitely look into that. Well, Sweet, Neil, or, sorry, Fisher Neil, so everyone knows. And, yes, that is correct. It's not Neil Fisher. That's right. Don't get it twisted. For being I have a- lots of fun anecdotes about that. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that could be an episode in itself. i i just really want to tell you thank you for joining us getting on the show and you may be a professional actor and probably the only professional actor that's ever going to spend their time on our show but uh (laughs) in the outdoor world you're real you're legit i mean you're doing it in levels that people aren't doing it so i just want to say thanks and keep pushing and for everybody out there listening, follow this guy, follow his information, and just really do what you can do. If you're in the, the New York area, look him up, get in touch, and go learn something. And we want to thank you guys all for taking the ride right here on the Outdoor Drive. Outdoor Drive.